Well, good morning. It's good to be back. Um, I was out last week. I had a great trip with the family. Um, they kind of surprised me, um, and we took off and uh, showed up. Uh, we kind of rented a cabin for a few days, and the kids were all there. So uh, I've got a big birthday coming up this week. So um, I turned 50 this week. So, um, yeah, I'm not sure what I think about that yet. Um, but, um, yeah, I'm going it's just thankful to have another year. I think that's what it is, right? The older you get. So it's, um, now we had a great week. Uh, Austin did a great job preaching last week, or should I say Jake from State Farm? Um, uh, he did a great job. I really enjoyed listening to that. Um, he did, he did a good job. So we do get to, to start a new sermon series today, but before I jump in, I do want to mention we started something new this year, kind of our Discover series, um, and we kind of have four classes kind of in mind when we planned this and mapped this out for the year. The first was our Discover Cornerstone. Um, that's for our newcomer class, really. If you're new to the church, that's where you can come learn about who we are, about what we believe, about how we're set up, how we do things at Cornerstone, uh, our membership process, all that stuff. We offer that online and in person. Uh, so we actually have a Discover Cornerstone class in person coming up at the end of August, uh, August 27th. It's on a Sunday morning during our 11 o'clock service. Um, and so that's coming up. Uh, we also have it online at any time you can do. When, then we added this year something called Discover Faith. That is really what I would call a new believers class. So if you're new to the faith, uh, want to learn the basics of the faith, it's really for anybody can take it. Uh, you can sign up, and it's online, so it's a great way uh, to kind of brush up. Um, it's something I teach online, so you can kind of, at any time you want to, sign up for that and go through it. Then we have our Discover Theology, and that's been our summer-long theology series, and uh, we've got one more meeting left for that. We've been meeting on the first Wednesday of every month, uh, going th and then watching some theology videos during the month, and that's been really good, really good discussion, uh, learning uh, uh, going deeper in our faith, really, and learning what, what we believe and why we believe it. And then finally, the fourth piece of that puzzle um, I'm announcing this morning, and uh, we're getting ready to kick off here coming up uh, in September, is called Discover Leadership. Um, this was the one I was really excited about when we kind of planned this and mapped it out. And this would be what I would call, if I wanted to sit down with someone and take them through uh, how to be a leader. Uh, kind of mentor them. What does it mean uh, to, to be a disciple of Jesus? How do you lead others? How do you take care of yourself in the process? That's what this course is. Um, uh, so it's going to be a little more intensive than the others. Um, we're going to meet monthly in a large group, and then there'll be, some, there'll be three book assignments. We'll have meals together. Um, and so uh, there is a nominal cost of, to, to, to kind of cover the books and the materials and the meals. Um, but it's launching on Saturday, September 16th. And so all the information is on our website uh, under Discover Leadership. You can find it there on the upcoming events uh, and um, on, on the Church Center app as well. Um, but I'm really excited about that. So we'll split up into men and women too. So it's, um, uh, it's going to be a good, good class. It's going to be, like I said, a little more intensive because there's reading assignments. There'll be some... Uh, we'll have a private Facebook group to kind of do discussions and questions during uh, the, the course as well, but it'll run from September through early December. So uh, if that's something you're interested in, uh, you'll be hearing a little bit more about it over the next few weeks, but I encourage you to go ahead and sign up and um, get ready for that. So 
we're in a new series called A Generous Life Today. And I want to just start off with a question. I want you to really think about this. Do you think that we live in a world today that is more generous or less generous than it used to be? It's hard to kind of quantify, but when we look at some stuff, I think you would find pretty quickly that, uh, if anything, people are more, uh, I would say, self-sufficient. Um, they hold on to more things. Um, we're not living in what I would typically describe as a generous world. It's been a long time since we've talked about generosity as a church, but this is not going to be your typical sermon series, so if you're here today and you're like, oh, here we go, we're going to talk about money and church, and this is going to be a little bit different. Um, I'll tell you up front, the goal is not to get you to start giving more to the church. That's not what this is about. The goal is to get you to understand what a generous life looks like, uh, to, to find out what the Bible says about generosity, because it says a lot, and then I'll let God deal with the rest of that stuff. Um, that's, not, that's not my role, uh, to guilt you or to, 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 to compel you to do something. That's really God's role, is to get you kind of on the right path but I will tell you that generosity affects every single aspect of your life and it's far more than what you do with your money and so as a church I feel like how we treat giving and uh, and how we manage that here at church kind of gives us um, it kind of gives us uh, I guess the, the freedom um, to, to discuss this without you thinking we have ulterior motives and I'll just say from the very beginning Cornerstone uh, we've not placed a big emph emphasis on uh, giving. We've placed offering boxes by the door. I've had people come to church here for months and say, how do, y e how do you even give at this church? Because you haven't mentioned it or haven't talked about it. We don't pass a plate. And, and so we've always, our, our, our view is let's trust that God will provide and let's trust that God's people will support his work. And that's just simply it. And so uh, we're not going to guilt you into giving. We're not going to beat you over the head and, and make even I'll even go so far the elders and, and myself included. We don't know who gives what or who gives at Cornerstone. Uh, that's the way we were set up from the beginning. So uh, we are just it, it's taught us we're, we're going to trust God and how we uh, how we lead this church. Um, I would also say we're generous in how we support local ministries. Um, and so I need to do sometime, I need to, to kind of add up what we've given away over the years um, through our budget, through missions given, through our special offerings that we've done. Uh, I know it's over half a million dollars. Um, and for a church this size, that's amazing to me to think about that we've given away. And that's money, right, that we could have held on to and paid off debt for this building or said, oh, we could have bought this or done this. And, but instead, from the, we're like, no, we're, we're going to be a generous church. That's one of our core values. Some of you even know the early years of Cornerstone, the first three years we existed, uh, we were completely elder-led. We didn't have a, a, a pastor, uh, a, a full-time pastor on staff. Um, and so before, we didn't even have a building, right? We met in school, so we were portable church, uh, moving around. Um, and during that time, um, we not only paid to build a church in Nicaragua, we paid a pastor in Nicaragua. Um, and so I always thought that was interesting, that as a church, before we had a building, before we had a pastor, we had a building and a pastor in Nicaragua. And I think from the early days, that's kind of informed who we are as a church, right? It's that was our goal. We don't want this church, we don't want Cornerstone to be about, let's make a great name for Cornerstone. 
Let's make a great name for Christ. Let's, let's preach Him and, and just trust Him. And let's really be a generous church that supports local ministries. And I remember early on asking the question, would the community notice if we closed our doors? You know, and I would say unequivocally, the answer is absolutely now. Our church has become an essential part of this community and how we support and, and, and encourage the, the local ministries. And, and there's so many ministries here, and from willing partners to God's storehouse to uh, Push Ministries and uh, all the different, you know, the free medical clinic. I could go on and on. There's all these different ministries that we've been able to, to, to help and serve alongside. And so I, I just share that, right? Just to know that we don't have an ulterior motive. But I do want you to learn what the Bible has to say about generosity. Uh, In preparing for this series, I I started investigating some statistics. And I I just want to share these. I'm kind of, you may not nerd out like me on on statistics and facts like this, but I think they're really interesting. And I'll let you kind of draw your own conclusions out of some of these. But um, I think these these will kind of... Uh, help us see a little bit about the state of our generosity in our country. Uh, Here's the first thing. Six out of ten American households actually participate in some type of charitable giving. So about 60%. That means 40% don't, right? Um, Those making less than 50,000 a year give more in relation to their total income than any other income range. So it's interesting, people that make less money actually give more percentage-wise than anybody else. Um, religious giving today is lower than it was during the Great Depression. That's really interesting, isn't it? That it's lower. Um, it's interesting that the highest religious group that gives is Mormons. So if you look at the giving statistics, Utah and Wyoming are like at the top of the charts. Um, seven of the nation's top ten states for charitable giving are in the South. So Southern people, there we go. <laughs> southern people are a little more generous, which we, we knew. Um, <laughs> only 5% of people actually what would, 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 tithe, would call it a tithe, so to give uh, 10%. Um, eight out of ten people who give to churches, this was a really interesting one, have zero credit card debt. So that just shows you, right? I mean, just a little aside, that shows you how the danger of debt and what it does to people. It really does make a, an impact. Um, 37% of regular church attenders and in, 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 in evangelicals don't give money to the church. So uh, people that, do, that d- would call themselves Christians that are evangelicals, that go to church, four out of ten don't give to church uh, anything. The average annual charity donation, and this is not just churches, but overall charity donations for Americans in 2020 was $737. That's the average. And if you break that down by age group, uh, for millennials, it was 481 annually, total, right? Uh, The average Gen X, which is I'm in, uh, was $732 total. Uh, Baby boomers were a little higher at $1,200. Uh, the silent generation, a little bit older, would be 1300 So that's kind of where we're at, right? Um, and, this, and here's another one. The average American gives $17 weekly to their local place of worship. $17. So <laughs> that's kind of where we're at. 
when you think about generosity, and generosity is more than just what you give monetarily. And we'll, we'll talk about that throughout this series. It's how we spend our time. It's how we volunteer. It's, it's, a lot, it's really how we live our lives. And, uh, you know, on top of all this, I would say we live in a time right now with a lot of financial uh, uncertainty, all right? We're still dealing with the long-term effects of the COVID shutdown. Uh, there's just no way around it. Uh, government help has ran out for many people, so that's really affected income. Um, the high inflation um, has made an impact on what we can buy and what we can afford. Uh, it's also fed our fear about the future, right? That's, that's such a, a huge topic is people have fear about, well, what can I do? And am I going to have money to retire on? And, and, and all those questions. There's high levels of consumer debt. Um, we just, our world, we just, uh, national debt too, but cars cost more, housing costs, even here in Galax, housing costs have soared, right? Um, and there's not, and, and something we run into so often in helping people in, through our benevolence ministry, there is a lack of affordable uh, housing in, in, in this area right now. Uh, there's just people that, that have money, have housing vouchers, have, have a job and can pay for a house, can't find a house. Um, and so there's a lack of, a, uh, stocks have struggled uh, for the last couple of years. So if you've got money in the stock market, you know that maybe money you were counting on as income is not there right now. Uh, college loans are, are just crazy, right? They're out of control. Uh, the, the cost of college has skyrocketed. And and, and I, my kids give me a hard time for this because I sound like an old man all the time. But I'm like, when we went to school, <laughs> you know, you actually had to eat in a dining hall. And the food wasn't good. And our room didn't have air conditioning. And it was rough, but we liked it, you know. And now you go to college, it's like a five-star resort. They got food courts and chefs and all, the, all these fancy... Re- My son can walk out of his dorm room and he's got Chick-fil-A and Panda Express and everything right within 50 feet of his dorm room. I'm like, man, I would have weighed 300 pounds by the time I got out of college <laughs> if I was there. But that, and we wonder why college is so expensive. It's because it's a resort now. But I'm off track. Sorry about that. I could even talk about, you know, I think you guys would agree, wages aren't keeping up with the cost of living. So all of these reasons, we can say, this is why I'm not generous. Mike, don't you understand? This is the world we're living in. We can make excuses. We can rationalize it. We can talk about why we're not being generous. But let me just point you back. We're not even as generous as people were during the Great Depression. That should be a wake-up call for us a little bit. I want to kind of push against the negativity. I want to help us focus on living a life different from the culture around us. I want to talk about biblical generosity, which is focused on living your entire life for God, giving your life for God. It's making Him the focus and, and Him the goal. And so it's more, a lot more than just finances. So how do we live a generous life? Here's, um, here's the first thing that I want to share with you this morning to get us thinking generosity flows from having a purpose in life if you don't have a purpose you have no reason to give to anything because your life is going to be about you and your wants and your desires but when you have a purpose it changes how you live we're going to be in acts chapter 20 today 
And I think I, online I actually had a typo, so if you're following along on Facebook or YouTube, the notes have the wrong scripture reference. But we'll be in Acts chapter 20, um, and let me kind of give you a background on that a little bit and kind of walk us up to that. Um, Acts is a book in the New Testament of the Bible, and it's, it was written by Luke, and I think it's kind of the glue that kind of holds the New Testament together. We have the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, that tell the story of Jesus. And then we have all these letters uh, by Paul and, and some others, but these are letters to churches in the early church. And so if you just have the Gospels and you just have these letters to the early church, you're like, well, how did we get from Jesus to the early church? How did everything kind of start? How did all this? And what Acts does, it tells us that when Jesus ascended, this is how the disciples launched the early church. This is who Paul is, and this is why he's important. And, and it's, it, it's really that historical account of the early years of the church. Um, and so Acts chapter 20, let me, the background of it is Paul is on the last stages of his third missionary journey. He would take, if you've studied Paul much, you know that he took several journeys. He would go from place to place, start churches. He would live there while start a church, appoint leaders, and then he would move on and start another church. And so he traveled around Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And so that's where many of the churches like Ephesus and Corinth and, and, and places like that are, are located, right? And then he also traveled all the way to Rome. So he covered a lot of ground. And so he has been in Ephesus, and he had spent some years there ministering. He had been there longer than any other place. And now he's getting ready to go to Jerusalem to preach the gospel. He kind of had received a message or prophecy or kind of just he, he heard from the Holy Spirit that this was not going to turn out well. Um, but he was determined to go anyway. And so he kind of got the elders of the, the church at Ephesus together. He wants to give them a farewell address. And he gives them kind of an impassioned sermon here. I love it. He gives them the great leadership lesson. He tells them, you've got to shepherd the flock. You've got to warn your people about false teachers. You've got to keep your focus. You need strength in your wisdom. And so this is a great reminder of uh, what I would say leadership for the church. And so I want to pick it up in Acts chapter 20, verse 17. Uh, and this is what he said. he said. He said, but when we landed at Miletus, he sent a, messenger, uh, a message to the elders of the church at Ephesus, asking them to come and meet, meet him. When they arrived, he declared, You know that from the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work humbly and with many tears. I have endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I have had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and having faith in our Lord Jesus. When I read this, man, I, I just think about Paul's life. Paul was a man on a mission. Paul had a purpose. His purpose, his life purpose was to tell people about Jesus. And if you know his early life, you know that was a complete 180 degree turnaround from his early life where he spent all of his time persecuting the Christians and even really even killing them for their faith and arresting them and all this. And now he's turned his life around and he's telling as many people as he can about Jesus. What we see with Paul, he had a purpose for his life. That purpose meant he was willing to do whatever it took to get the message across. 
It meant that his whole life was a generous life because his life, it wasn't about his comfort. It was about his purpose. So my question is, do we have a purpose in our life? I believe every single believer should have a purpose. Why are you here? Are you just here to to go to work every day, to get a paycheck, go home, and kind of repeat the whole process day after day after day? That's a pretty boring life, isn't it? It's a life without a mission. It's a life without purpose. I think many people live what I would say uh, uh, would live reactively instead of proactively. And so when we think about living reactively, what, we're, what, we, what I mean by that is so many people just react to situations, react to problems. So you have a, a problem pop up. Uh, let me let me deal with it. I'll handle that. But you don't really plan. You don't really have a, a purpose for that. And so when we live proactively, what we're doing, we're actually thinking ahead and, and making plans. And we, we make choices based on what's important to us. In a financial setting, this would be a, right, a budget. You have a budget, you live proactively because you're like, in. I'm making the choice on what's most important and my budget's going to tell me what my purpose is financially. All right? But if we live reactively, then we're constantly, uh, we're constantly in trouble. We're constantly in a crisis because we never have a plan. We don't have a purpose. We just react to issues as they come up. I feel like so many people live like that all the time. With everything. Everything's a crisis. Everything's a challenge. Everything's, and because of that, you don't, you're just in survival mode. Day after day, week after week, month after month, you live in survival mode, just trying to get by. And the problem with living in survival mode is you blink your eyes and it's a decade later. And you haven't really accomplished anything that you set out to accomplish. So many people get towards the end of their life and they look around and they're like, they have regret because they feel like, right, I've missed my purpose. This is what I'm talking about. We need a purpose. And, and I would encourage you to spend the time to, to do the work to think about why has God put me here? How has God gifted me? What have my experiences taught me? How can God use me? What is God calling me to do that only I can do? And when you think about that, it really does start giving you, hey, this is my reason for living. This is my purpose in life. And so instead of just reacting to what everyone else wants you to do, we need a plan for our life. Paul's life purpose was to tell others about Jesus. It informed every decision, every choice, everything he did because of that purpose. He could say no to things that distracted him from his mission. I think that's why Paul was able to to say this in his letter to the Corinthian church. He said, so let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for, for God loves a cheerful giver. He's like, when you have a purpose, it means you can do things with joy. It means that you do things not because you have to, not because you're guilted, not because you're obligated, but because you do it joyfully, this matches the purpose I have for my life. And so I think about that, and that's my question. What's our purpose? What's important to you? 
So, uh, you know, kind of the Instagram world we live in, everything's about appearance. And you see people talking about experiences over things is kind of a common refrain I've said. And, and that's great. That's a good, I, I would encourage you, right? We don't need stuff to be happy. But where is God in that? Where does God fit into that? I think the danger, and when I look back at my early uh, 20s and th- even 30s, my problem was I made plans, but I left God out of it. Right? I wasn't asking myself, okay, what does God want me to do? Where does God fit into this? How can I make God the center of my decisions? And so the more I've learned how to do that, the more I've found my purpose in life. Which leads me to my second point. A generous life requires sacrifice. Now, you may, this is where I think we don't like it as much, right? Because, um, you know, we don't like sacrifice. We like comfort and we like predictability. We like predictability. Now, some of you guys are open to doing anything, anytime, anywhere. I'm not one of those people, okay? You, you probably would not have guessed that. But like if I have a choice between going to some exciting new restaurant or going to somewhere where I know the food is really good, I'm going to somewhere I know the food is really good, right? I mean, just because I know what to expect. I've been there. I know where to park, right? I know what the process is, right? And I know how everything works. I don't like unpredictability. Um, But the truth is, in life, we don't all... It's not about our comfort, and it's not about choosing things that are predictable. And sometimes we need to go um, and do things that are uncomfortable. Sometimes we need to go where it's unsafe. Sometimes we need to to take a chance and open the door to the unknown and say, I don't know how this is going to turn out, but I'm going to trust God because he's leading me in this direction. And that goes against nature for some of you. But this is what God's calling us to do. Uh, Let's keep reading in Acts chapter 20, verse 22. He says, And now I'm bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me. I mean, right there it is. He's like, I don't know what's going to happen here, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. You talk about a verse right there, a life verse, a verse with purpose, a verse that can just grab you and say, okay, Paul understood, Paul got it, right? Right here is that verse. Here, he's like, this, my life, I have a purpose and I'm going to use it for the thing that God created me to do. Right here it is. Verse 25. And now I know that none of you to whom I preach the kingdom will ever see me again. I declare today that I've been faithful. If anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. For I didn't shrink from declaring all that God wants you to know. What is he doing? He's saying here, I have no regrets. I have no regrets. How many people uh, kind of get approached the end of their life with regrets? I wish I would have done more. I wish I would have made different choices. I wish I would have spoken up. I wish I would have told my friend about Jesus. And here Paul is, is like, hey, I've done my part. I've told as many. And he's not holding on to the, his mistakes of his, 
of his past. He's saying, here and now, where I'm at, I have no regrets because I am not shrinking back from telling people what God needs them to hear, whether they need it, whether they want to hear it or not. He's like, I, am, I, I'm, I have no regrets. For many, early, for many of the early Christians, they had to sacrifice. They had to sacrifice family relationships. They had to sacrifice their finances. They had to sacrifice their safety. They had to sacrifice their way of life. And for many of them, it required the ultimate sacrifice that they would lay down their life. And yet, for us, we don't like being uncomfortable. All right. it, it's a wake-up call. I, I was reading this week a little bit, and I came across the story of a, of a man who sacrificed. And um, I actually, when I was reading it, I'm like, oh, I remember this. I remember watching this on the news. And it was a, a plane crash in 1982. In Washington, D.C., if you remember, a plane took off and had trouble and ended up in the Potomac. And it was wintertime, it was icy, right? It was all over the news media back then. Um, and so um, what happened, um, some people were standing by and they started throwing ropes and they couldn't. And finally, a helicopter got there about 20 minutes later and started pulling people out. And, then, and out of the crash, only about six people survived the initial crash. And they were in the water and they were trying to all get out of the icy water and so they threw the rope down. A guy caught it and gave the rope to someone else. They pulled that person out. They threw the rope back. He got it again. He made sure someone else got hooked up. They pulled that person out. He kept doing this five times. They pulled people out, right? And then finally they threw the rope down and he wasn't there. And the plane had sunk below the water and he, uh, not sure if he was tangled up or just gave out from, 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 tired, from just being tired, but he ended up drowning. And it took weeks and weeks for them to figure out who this man was. His name was Arland Williams. He's a graduate of the Citadel. Um, and he has been remembered now as, as a hero for, for he was. I mean, he, he, every time, when instead of saving himself, he kept giving that rope to someone else. The bridge now, as you cross into to Washington, is the Arland Williams Memorial Bridge, right? Um, and so... It's, it's interesting when you see a story like that and you read that and you're like, I don't know what I would do in that situation. We like to think, hey, I would be the one that sacrifice. I, I would be the one to help everybody else before myself. But I know the way that most people live and it's not that way. What does our world say? Take care of yourself. Make choices for you. Do what benefits you. Don't worry about anybody else but you. That's the message that our world tells us today. The message of generosity says it's about sacrifice. It's not about you. It's about, it's about Jesus. And so what can we do to help others find Jesus? What can we do to help tell others about Jesus? Because it's not about us. It's not about our comfort. It's not about our predictability. It's not about our safety even. And, and so I think this is a wake-up call, which leads me to my next point, that the world just it continues to tempt us to think only about ourselves. That's what the world tells us. It's, it's, it's about you. Let's keep going. Verse 28. So guard yourself and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as leaders. I know that false teachers, like vicious wolves, will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out. Remember the three years that I was with you, my constant watch and care over you night and day, and my many tears for you. 
And now I entrust you to God in the message of his grace that is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance with all those he has set apart for himself. I've never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. You know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who were with me. So he's kind of giving them this final warning as he's about to leave. And he's like, I've not been a burden on you. And you can see from the way I've lived my life, it's not been about me. I don't, I don't need your money. I don't want your money. In essence, it's what he's taking. How different is that from most, um, I don't want to say megachurch, but most celebrity pastors today? Their message is not, hey, I don't need your money. Their, their message is, I need a nicer house. I need a jet because I can't fly a commercial. You know, and, and so what we have, they, they need a nicer cars and they, they've got their, the designer clothes. And this is what we see. And, and, and you've heard me preach against the prosperity gospel before. And I'll continue preaching against it because it's not the gospel. It's not the gospel. It, it's not about us being blessed and living a luxurious life. That is not the gospel. The gospel is we lay down our life for Jesus. Whatever that means, whatever, that, whatever he calls us to go, whatever he calls us to do, it, it's, it's not easy. But that's what he calls us to do. And so, uh, you know, it, it, I'm broken over what the American church has turned into. Uh, um, it's informed how we've, you know, we chose to, to buy an old building in the middle of downtown. We could have built a, a big new church and fancy church, but it, it would have cost, you know, when we were costing it out, it's like $1.5 million. We're like, is that really what we want to do? And even now, it'd be a lot more than that. You know, this, this building is nice. It's not extravagant. Our, our technology is nice. It's not extravagant. We make do with what we have because our mission is not stuff. It's Jesus. And so, and I'll say this, it's not that being rich is a sin. I'm not advocating that everyone take a vow of poverty. But how much is enough? How much is enough? We need to be careful what we watch and what we believe. He's saying be careful, be on guard, be alert, be watchful, aware. Because people are going to come in and they're going to try to take your money. <laughs> In context, that's really what he's saying here, right? Ephesus was this, uh, this, this hub. It was this city where they had all the stuff that you could want. And he's saying, I know the danger is going to be for greed. And it's so, it happens so quickly. We take our eyes off Jesus and our life becomes about our comfort and our pleasures. That's what happens so easy. Greed is a sin that destroys a person. Do you realize when the Bible talks about greed, it's in the same list where he talks about sexual immorality, right? It talks about idolatry, where he talks about drunkenness. Greed is just as bad. Here, a lot of churches preach about sexual immorality. How many churches do you hear talk about greed? Just be honest, right? This is, this is the problem in our world today, right? Paul knew that many people would leave the faith because of their greed and, and he, would, he, kept, he continued throughout his writings to warn them. So I said the love of money is the root of all evil, right? The love of money. It's not money. It's the love of money. It's that greed that destroys us. And what Paul is doing, he's saying, you've seen me. You've seen that I've not been a burden on you. You've seen that it's not been about my stuff, but instead about my life being poured out for you. 
Warren Wiersbe said this. He said, to covet means a consuming, a controlling desire for what others have and more of what we ourselves we already have. Thou shall not covet is one of the last of the Ten Commandments. It's the last of the Ten Commandments. But if we do covet, we end up breaking all the other nine. Those who covet will steal, lie, and murder to get what they want and even dishonor their own parents. Covetousness is idolatry. That's a problem when we, have, when we covet, when we have greed. It causes us to, to break every other sin to get what we want when we want it. Which brings me to my last point. What do we do about this? Okay, I've shared all the problems. I think we need to start looking for a solution. Here's the solution. Living generously means that we are always looking for ways to bless others. This is what takes the focus off of ourselves and put it on, on, on how we live a generous life. In verse 35, I've been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had finished speaking, he knelt. He prayed with them. They all cried as they embraced and, and kissed him goodbye. They were sad most of all because he had said that they would never see him again. And then they escorted him down to the ship. It's more blessed to give than to receive. I feel like this is a verse that's pulled out of context a lot of times. Here in the context, what he's saying, he's saying, you've seen how I've lived my life. You've seen how I've made choice after choice. You've seen how I've sacrificed. You've seen the way I've lived. Now I want you to do the same. And he said, as the Lord Jesus has taught, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Now we don't see these words, they're shown in, the, you know, in red in your Bibles. We don't see them directly in another passage of Scripture, but this is something that we know that Jesus had to say. The early church recognized that this, is, this was a teaching of Jesus. Uh, as, Luke wrote, you know, as Luke wrote this, uh, we know that this was something he had heard. And so, you know, look at this and. It's similar to the Beatitudes where Jesus taught, blessed are those who, you know, in Matthew uh, chapter 5, he talked about all those ways we could be blessed. But what here he's saying, right, it's more blessed, blessed to give than to receive. And so I love this whole, this whole passage, this whole thought, because what Paul is doing, he's kind of, he's showing them a new way to live. We look for ways we can bless others. He's teaching them, this, right, this, is, this is the way you live your life. In fact, Paul, in, in 1 Timothy, this is what he wrote. He said, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. It's more blessed to give than to receive because what giving does, it kills our self-centeredness. It takes away our love of money. It fuels our purpose for life. It enables us to help those in need. Because we've been given everything we need in Christ, we realize that all this stuff we don't really need. We become happy. We become blessed, which is really what that word means. When we pick up our cross, we deny ourselves as Jesus taught. 
It's not about us. We can give of our time, our talent, our treasures, our resources to those in need because of what Jesus has already done in our life. Every single gift, every single thing we do, what it, it kills our selfishness a little bit more and it conforms us to be more like Jesus. It's, said, it's been said that you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. That's deep, okay? I, you know, I, I've mentioned our, one of our core values here is, is generosity. We want to be a generous church, and we try to model this in the decisions we make. And, and I've sat in many meetings where we're trying to talk about what we should do and what we could do, and, and, and our guiding, that guiding principle is how can we be generous? How can we be generous? And, and we've got to do the same thing in our individual lives. How do we be generous? How do we take the focus off of ourselves? Second um, Corinthians, this is what Paul says. He says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for his, your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Jesus gave us the ultimate example of generosity, right? He was the, 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 the gift for us. For God so loved the world that he what? He gave. He gave. He gave his one and only son. So that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's generosity. And you see, for us, it all starts when we understand who Jesus is, our relationship to Jesus, and it changes our whole outlook on life. When he is our Lord, that means he is the master. He is the ruler. It means God owns everything. We're just here to manage it on his behalf. It means we're just here to, to be good stewards, good managers of his stuff to bless others. So it's a different way of living. It's not about accumulating. It's not about building our own empire. It's about honoring the king. And so I want to just invite you this morning. Every Sunday, we have a chance to respond. And our response time is simply, okay, what has God spoken to you today? And what are you going to do about it? And I want you to wrestle with that question. Because I don't want this just to be a sermon that you hear and say, okay, that was a good message. Let's go. Let's eat. We're going to eat lunch. I want you to say, okay, how does my life change as a result of what I've heard? How do I reorient my priorities, my my desires around what honors God instead of what honors me. And when we do that, man, that's when we're talking about understanding a blessed life, a generous life. That's what we mean by changing our focus. So I'm going to give you an opportunity right now to pray with me. If you don't know Jesus, this is your invitation that will change your life. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you today that your word continues to speak to us, that challenges us, that equips us. And so today, Lord, we just honor you um, by preaching and proclaiming your word. I pray, Lord, for each and every person here. And I know that there, there may be some people here that are going through incredible financial difficulty. And as we go through this series, may it be, uh, instead of adding another burden, instead of weighing them down, may it be freeing to them to help them understand what a, a, a generous life really looks like. 
So, Heavenly Father, we pray for that. I pray for those people who are listening online and in person today that don't know you as their Lord and Savior. And so would today be that day where they could say, Jesus, I want you to be the Lord of my life. I'm not doing a great job of it. I I need you to lead my life. And so right now, I want to confess my sin, my rebellion, my disobedience. I want to confess it, Lord. I I know I can't save myself. So I want to put my faith, my trust in Jesus. And what Jesus did, he lived that perfect life. He went to the cross. He died the death that I deserve. He went to He took all the punishment that I deserve. And yet, He carried it it on the cross. And when He died, He rose again three days later, victorious over sin, victorious over death, defeating it once and for all, Lord, so that we could have eternal life with our Father in heaven. And Lord, so I pray, I believe, would You save me? Would You transform me? Would You give me that new heart, that heart transplant that I so desperately need? so that I can focus my life on you. Help me to to be obedient to your will and your word. Help me to follow after you with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help me to live for you, Jesus. I need your help. I need your spirit indwelling, living inside me to help me to do this. And Lord, I just want to thank you for who you are, for what you've done. If you prayed that this morning, Jesus heard it, he answered it, he saved you. That's the belief in your heart. God, we thank you today. We praise you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.